0: Hello everybody Stuart Watson here. I'd just like to start this podcast by saying that in the last podcast I spoke about my wife and child potentially getting on my tits a little bit over the Christmas period. To clarify I'd also like to say that I do feel blessed to have spent so much quality time with them over the last year making some magical memories. I also need to acknowledge from my wife's point of view that I must be difficult to live with because I can be an irritating, grumpy, ungrateful twerp. Hang on. Sorry boys, I just need to put you on mute a minute. Talk amongst yourselves. Yes, yes, I'll break it out, okay? Shut the shut the door, I'm working. Sorry boys. Um Yeah, no, I just thought I had to start with that this week.
1: Can can we start now, Stu?
0: Yeah, you can edit the. Book. There was someone at the door just a minute ago. Just edit that little bit out, but just stick that little bit in wherever you want.
1: Yeah, Hotchi, you'll take that out in 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 the post edit, won't you, Hotchi? No problem. Yeah, yeah, that's no no problem at all. One. let's go then. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Kings of Anglia podcast. It's Monday, uh, it's a new year, it's not a happy Monday. Town were back in action over the weekend, it is a new year. Unfortunately, it was the same old town, this time with perhaps the, the poorest result of the season, losing at home 3 2 to second from Bottom Swindon Town, a side that got one point from the previous six games. My name is Mark Heath, I'm your host most of the time, I wasn't last week. And I'm pleased to say the whole damn gang joined me this week to break down the Swindon Shambhalaids and talk a little bit about all the issues arising, take a lot of your questions and then we'll move on to a happy ending, uh, as they say in some... uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm I'm bailing out of this. Uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, Anyway, as I say, I'm Mark Keith, with me giggling across all screens the man you just heard apologising to his wife, rightly so, Stewie. You slagged her off and then she brought you a fish finger sandwich. She knows her place. How are you, Stewie? I'm fine, mate. I'm looking forward to this happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> ah, such children we are. Andy Warren, how are you?
2: Yeah, really yeah, really good, thank you. I had a fish finger sandwich for lunch today.
1: I wonder where you're going with that. I thought you were going to reveal something else. No, <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, not yet. <laughs> no. Uh, and, of course, the man who would probably find this all the most amusing because he's the youngest and therefore has the youngest sense of humour, Roscoe, Ross Halls, the man with the beard. How are you?
3: I'm very well, thank you. Another new favourite thing. Oh. Oh, poor, I have a little pause there. I'm now finishing the last box of chocolates for Christmas celebrations. And do you know what? Controversial, but bounties—I like bounties. Is this again something you've only just realised? You've—you've you've never had a Yeah, bounty before. yeah. Honestly, this—when I was a kid, I had bounty probably once, and then I just okay. never really wanted to touch it again. And then, I, yeah, I just went. You know what? The only—only only chocolate left in a box. Give it a go. Do you know what? It's a bit of coconut, a bit of chocolate. Not too bad.
1: Bish, bosh, bash. I think if bounties were an Ipswich Town player, they'd be Luke Chambers—a lightning rod for controversy. Uh, I'm a big fan of bounties. Where do you boys stand,
0: Stewie? Um, yeah, they're, they're right down the list for me, unfortunately. I'm not at, against them. I don't, I don't even know if they'd be a Luke Chambers, to be honest. I think they'd just be somebody that's just a squad player that's barely spoken about. But what I'm saying is they divide people. You either really like them
1: or you kind of really don't like them, in my experience. Archie, where do you stand on the, uh, the coconut treat
2: if you want me, if you want me to talk about rankings, which I, I like ranking things, yeah. Um I think Bounty might might scrape into my top five celebrations. Yes. in fifth. I quite like them. I'm not. I'm certainly not against them. Um, they're not touching a Malteser. They're not touching Galaxy Caramel. I don't think they're even touching a Milky Way. I quite What's... like. I'm quite. In, I'm into
1: Milky Way at the moment. Good to hear. So that, that's top of your table's Malteser, is it? Because obviously i will now have to go um, to the other boys.
2: No, no, top, no top of the table's Galaxy Caramel. Then a mold then a Malteser, then, then, uh, then a Twix. The little yeah. <laughs> couldn't couldn't eat a whole. Not really into a whole Twix. I don't need a whole Twix. I quite like the little. It's just, just a little Twix.
1: You can't see this obviously if you're listening. Um, but Hutchie's is looking extremely animated and and demonstrating sizes of. I assume it's chocolate bars with his fingers um stewie your favorite galaxy truffle hands down galaxy truffle roscoe not even,
2: not even in there anymore so yes
3: yeah, not in there anymore either yeah i was just wondering what was it in my selection living in the past hmm. what would you say Rossi?: oh yeah galaxy caramel all the way just it's just beautiful there we go right then boys we've got
1: that out of the way we said hello we've had a bit of a laugh now let's go to the serious <laughs> and sad stuff Ipswich Town were back in action. You last week, I thought, was a tremendous podcast. You were, you were bang on form. You were up for it. You hadn't watched Ipswich Town play for almost a month, and it showed. Unfortunately, then you had to go and watch them at the weekend, and let's be honest, it was shit. So uh, they lost 3-2. Swindon Town, as I say, second bottom of the table, aside, who had been awful over the past six games had only got one point from the past six games, came to town and turned town over. Where should we start? I'm going to come to you, Hutchy, because you're looking into the middle distance forlornly.
2: Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. I was completely and utterly <coughs> deflated by it all again. Um, I don't know what to say about it, because it, it's the same issues that are hitting Ipswich every week. It's almost palatable when it's against the teams that are at the top end of the division, although that's clearly a narrative that's gone on for far too long and is miserable in itself. But for it now to be kind of creeping into teams in the relegation zone, around the relegation zone is really worrying and it it's made me really miserable because if there was one thing that that you could kind you could kind of hope the Wallops, which gave themselves this base of being able to beat every team in the bottom half. That's why we predict they're going to win 2-0 in all these games, because they seem to get it done despite not convincing in them previously. If there was, it's, it's one of the things that kind of made me have some kind of belief that they could get this going promotion challenge-wise this year. If they could continue this base of, of beating the teams that they really should be beating, then surely at some point they're going to get going against promotion rivals. But to have the same old issues hitting them now in in games where they really should be winning and just to top it all off it was on the tv as well um it's just it's just thoroughly thoroughly miserable and it and, it, and it's felt like it's been coming as well which is which is perhaps even worse
1: yeah i, I mean speaking for me i was really excited before the game cuz you know it's not often you get to see town on on sky i i felt obviously the break was going to be a good thing they were playing swindon who was surely ripe for for turning over. Drizzy was starting. All my Christmases had come a little bit late or very, very early, depending on how you look at it. And yet it was just dire, Stewie. I mean, what what are your opening thoughts before we get into breaking down the shit show?
0: Uh, Yeah, just echoing what what Andy said in terms of how this is just mentally, mentally draining for all of us. Um, Completely get the frustration of supporters. some of that frustration has been directed at uh, us in in the last couple of days, which I think we'll come on to in a bit more depth. But I, I do understand that because they feel helpless. They feel like they've got no voice at this moment in time. They can't be in the, cr- in the ground. And we're going round and round in circles over the same old issues around this club that I think the difficulty without going into... You know, we've we've said we've talked about this in so many other previous pods. You may as well just go back to some of the other ones. It's so nuanced about the kind of the Marcus Evans side of things. Um, but yeah, it was just yeah. It uh, for me, uh, people will talk about the the COVID over Christmas and the postponed games and no game for twenty five days. That they're not excuses for me. Swindon hadn't played a huge amount themselves. They. They were in poor form. They had a, a pretty much a brand new team, having recalled a couple of players, signed a couple of players, another one back from a long-term injury. And Ipswich just didn't didn't get started. That first half was where the damage was done. Um, the tone, the tempo was set. It was everything that we've, all of the frailties we've seen this season about kind of an an obsession with possession without really having any kind of punch or guile or creative spark or anyone playing off the cuff once the ball reached the final third. Swindon looked the more dangerous. They were 1-0 up at half-time deservedly. Yes, Judge missed a good chance, but Swindon had, a, had another chance as well that could have made it 2-0. And, and ultimately, although it was better second half, they, they were deserved losers. The build-up play was, was just so
1: slow. If it was any slower, you, you'd, you'd kind of time it on a calendar. It was, it was awful. Roscoe, after the game, you, you did your Roscoe reacts. Um, and it was a passionate and, and entertaining one. And you, I seem to remember there was some alliteration in there What did you say? There was three P's, wasn't there? Which I thought summed up quite well.
3: Yeah, I was trying to think.
1: One of
3: them was ponderous. Yeah, I was trying to think of more P's, but I don't know any more P words really. Like you know, go go. I don't don't know. There's not many other P words. But yeah, ponderous, predictable, and just poor. You know, a lot of people will say poor. And you know, I quote my um, I quote my nephew Cody. uh, We are poo. Um, So yeah, it was a a cold, cold night on a Saturday. Live on Sky, and uh, yeah, we got goals, we got five goals, um, but yeah, it wasn't a good game. I don't want to spend too
1: much time talking about the game because, as Julie says, a lot of the issues are, are things that we've, we've talked about before um, and we will constantly re- return to, unfortunately, with Ipswich Town. Um, but Hutchie, what, I mean, in terms of the game briefly, what, what kind of stood out as, as, as bad for you? What did you make of the goals? Obviously, the second goal for Swindon was an absolute wonder goal, but he was all alone. Um, no one closed him down. You could argue that um, certainly the first goal as well. There wasn't much closing down going on. Um, yeah. What did you make of, of, of uh, the goal, of goals, and...
2: I think I think this, the, it 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 really disappointed me how easily easily a that goal was scored from Scott mm. Twine. Um I'm going to bypass the first half here. Um, <laughs> how, how easily that that goal was scored in terms of the time and space that he had, but also how easily. That goal knocked knocked Ipswich because they they'd got the equaliser through Norwood. He'd brought something completely different to that team. Once, once he came on, the focal point. I, I, I'm sorry to sorry to have to deflate you a little bit here. That but he he just brought brought something to that team that Drynan doesn't um, as much as Drynan has got. He's got a bit more control about him. He can link play deep. Um, Norwood's got the bit between his teeth. He's got the eye for goal. He's got Guile, master of the dark mm. arts. He can he, he packs a punch and he did that and he made Ipswich look a completely different team for that 20-minute that spell at the first start of the second half. Got his goal and then it really disappointed me how easily Scott Twine's goal rocked Ipswich because for all of the frailties of the first half, once Norwood had equalised, I, I truly believed they'd go on and, and win that game like they did against against Shrewsbury and against Burton. Mm. Possibly undeservedly, um, I thought they'd go on and do that again, but they were completely rocked by uh, by that goal and, and didn't get it together. And, and they were starting to get hit on the counter attack more and more by that by that. And then the third goal goes in, and um, yeah. It was, although Alan Judge did score, it didn't feel like there was a way back. But it really disappointed me how how easily they got rocked off it when it when they'd done the hard work, which was to get level.
1: Yeah, I listened to the last fifteen. minutes. I had to go out the last fifteen minutes to go and get some some uh, some food. So I listened to the last fifteen minutes on Radio Suffolk, and it was like a funeral. Like Mick Mills was on there. Obviously, Town were three-one down, and the way they were talking about things was, as you say, like 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 someone had died. It was it was dreadful. Um, I, I'm just going back to Norwood Hutchie. I mean, I'm under no illusions that Drynan is the anywhere near the player that Norwood is. Um, as you say, when Norwood's at it, there's there's something of the devil about him, isn't there? Uh, and he certainly looked like that. Yep. On Saturday, he looked tremendous when he came on, I thought. One of the bright spots, the few bright spots of the game and almost seeing Flynn down to get back on and almost immediately foul someone. I like that. Um, Suey anything else kind of to add?
0: Um, Full-backs are becoming an increasing concern for me. Both age 35. Chambers and Ward started the season really well. We're probably both up there in terms of the best performers during that that really good September month. But both have regressed. Um that's probably understandable with a combined age of of 70 and, and with games coming thick and fast on the horizon, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, that that's a fear for me. Um, I don't think they were helped by having two players out of position playing on the wings in front of them. Caden Jackson, I know we've talked about it's worth having a look at him as an experiment out on the wing from the two games we've seen him there now. It's not his forte. Um, Armando Dobras played most of his youth footballs as a number ten, so again we're talking about a bit of an imbalance in in the team there um, dazel some of his passing is a joy to behold the weight of passing the passing that he sees the ball over the top for the judge chance in the first half there were some others as well but then second half you see the other side of Andre Dazel in terms of playing that deep. Deep holding role, he he was probably the one guilty of not closing down Twine quick enough. Then he started getting a bit sloppy with some of the simple passes in the second half. Um, you could go through a few of the team. Really Wolfenden, I don't think, looks anywhere near the player he was last season. I don't know if that's due to him needing some experience at centre half, whether they're, you know, too old in the fullback positions and, and too green at centre half at the moment. Hughes looks a shadow of his former self, and we've been saying that for some time now, sadly. Um, it just didn't didn't happen for them. Um, the only positives you can take from it is Norwood and the return of Flynn Downs, who quite clearly wasn't anywhere near fully at it after after so long out. But just seeing him come on and inject a little bit of bite and a little bit of, you know, he got a booking, which was a bit of a controversial booking. But just to see someone pick up a booking like that in a strange way... Um, filled me with a bit of a bit of heart, I suppose. So um, one thing's for sure: the players are all coming back from injury this week. They should be uh, back in training now, and uh, the excuses have, have run out now. Uh, once everybody's fit, they have to start. They have to do better, and they have to get this done. No doubt about it.
1: I don't get the Jackson on the wing thing either. It does that doesn't for me? That doesn't work at all. Um, I know we wanted to see it, but. Th- they're not really... Use, his, his kind of prime attribute if he's going to be in that position is surely his pace. And uh, But he's not like trying to knock the ball past people. They're not playing the ball into him for him to chase. It just... It, it doesn't work. Um,
2: what, what... I, think, I think that's down to another deficiency that we've talked about for quite some time. A, a lack of invention in the final <laughs> third. I, I don't think Jackson's the kind of player that, like, like you've said there, is going to get the ball at his feet and, yeah. uh, and do it himself. He needs to be needs to be threaded and used. But, but because Ipswich are so ponderous in possession and so slow, you could see Swindon had, had two banks of... Um, I was going to say two banks of four, but it was a bank of four and a bank of five in there. They were able to get that back in there when Ipswich were on the ball and working it up to the final third. And, and then when you do that, there's so little room to use Jackson's strength because Jackson's real pace is in... Like once he's opened his legs up and got going and, and by the time you're you're thinking about using him, there's no space there's no space to use him and, and that's down to the slow build up play and the, the obsession with possession that we've talked about with, with little punch.
1: Yeah. Ross were you um were you pleased to see someone who looked almost as feral as you on the pitch in Brett Pittman? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a he's a bit better in shape than me. Just about I, was like, was I, I, fitness. I
2: disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> OK. I he's, think, he, I think he, you are in better shape. He's, to
3: use a
1: Suffolk term, he's a rum old boy, isn't he, Brett Pittman? Um, i would never realised just quite how hairy his upper arms are. Um, oh. Something of, the, uh, of the, uh, the, big, the, the Bigfoot about him. Um, but I, I actually thought he had a good game. And, he, he, you know, he, 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 he caused a lot of problems.
2: Um, particularly for Wolfenden, I thought.
1: Yeah, he
2: yeah. He really outfoxed him at every turn without doing yeah. anything. Mass- he didn't do anything particularly of note, did he? He got ahead of McGuinness for the third goal. Mm. but just, just clever, isn't he? Yeah, out, yeah he, he knows out, exactly,
1: yeah, exactly how to play that position. Old Manning, as they call it in boxing. Um, boys, anything else to mention about the game? Because I want to talk, uh, move on to talk about something which is obviously arising from the game and will no doubt arise even more going forward uh, before we go on to a lot, of, a lot of thoughts from the KOA army, which I think is the best way to do this today, rather than just go through things we've said before. Anything else
0: to mention, boys, before we move on? <clears throat> No, I think we can park it there probably.
2: Can I just say a little word for Alan Judge, actually? Yeah, good point. Who, yeah, who um, he's not been on it. He's not. He's not. He he's been a disappointment in terms of we thought we thought that he would could be the best player in this division, didn't we? Potentially. Um, but I thought I thought he had a decent game. He he was busy. He he's much better at that number ten, in that number ten position. He should have scored a goal in the first half, but um, mm. clever to get on the end of that. Denzel, um, that Denzel dinked past, but he clearly he clearly benefited from playing with Norwood. Somebody who two players who could maybe do stuff off the cuff together up front, and that was maybe a little bit of um a little bit of
0: something that that we could see a bit more of going forward. But I think yeah,
2: had a decent
0: game. I thought, b beyond Norwood, he was their their best player. I thought he made some really well timed runs in behind. He hit the post with that shot from distance yeah, that, that's a, that is definitely a positive.
1: Okay then boys, let's move on. Town lost. It was, it was, it was bad. Uh, and afterwards obviously there was the uh, I guess even more than normal outpouring of, of Lambert out kind of stuff, which in, in turn then was, was turned on us and has been turned on us all day. Um, quite a lot of passionate uh, some would say personal things being shared on social media about us and what we should do um, this podcast has always been about a peek behind the curtain. I think we should talk a little bit about why we haven't taken the step yet of calling for Paul Lambert to be sacked. Um, it's something that has only happened once in the 750-year history of the Anglia and something like that, and that was Jim jilton obviously, all those years ago, which in hindsight um, didn't, didn't pan out too well, because we'd love to be in that situation now. Um, I, I mean, clearly, the first thing to say on this is that that decision to call for Paul Lambert to be sacked is not our decision. That comes down to one man, and that's the editor, formerly Terry Hunt, uh, and now Brad Jones. Uh, Stu, you spent a lot of yesterday on the phone to Brad. Me, you, and Hutchie had a a big, long conversation with Brad this morning, talking all about it. Um, When it comes, if it comes, it will be the product of a considered thoughtful, not knee-jerk, not from born of frustration and passion. It will come from as I say, a thoughtful conversation, background knowledge, all those kind of things. Um, and it's not something we're going to do lightly, Stu.
0: No, I think it's um, to call for someone to lose their job is a big, big call. And once you've made it, there's no going back. Um, and you've got to be 110% certain that the timing is is right. Um, People will argue that, that that time has is now and as perhaps before now, I don't know, but what we can assure people is that a lot of thought and a lot of consideration, careful consideration, is going into this. You say that ultimately it will be Brad's decision. He trusts us and I think he listens to us as his sports team and will be guided by us. And what I will say is we're all on the same page there, so we can nip one conspiracy theory in the bud that, somehow we're kind of being shackled and internally because that's not the case at all. We're all on the same page here. Um people will be screaming now as they're listening to this, well, why is why is now not the time? Um the question would be once you the Magilton, the Magilton thing is definitely part of the consideration that it, that has not aged well at all. Um, so we have got to be absolutely sure. They play Burton away next weekend. They've got pl- big players coming back from injury. It's not impossible that they put a run of results together. They're a point outside the playoffs. In my gut, do I do I sense it's going a certain way at the moment from what I've seen on the pitch and from what I know of things behind the scenes? Yeah, I do think it's going a certain way, and that's the wrong way. And people will say, well, don't sit on your hands, be proactive, do something now. But we have to be certain with the timing of this. And the reason we're not doing it is not anything to do with protecting our relationship with the football club. Because quite frankly, I'm not bothered about privileges or bans or anything like that, because there ain't a hell of a lot they can take away from us, to be quite honest. It's a, it's a good, solid working relationship with the football club, which is how it should be. But the reason we're not doing it now is not to protect the relationship with the club. It's to re- protect our reputation as a newspaper. And, a, and I, that is at the forefront of my mind at this moment in time. And people will say, people will have an, uh, an opinion on that, but we're just trying to be sort of open and transparent here about the, the thought process that goes into this.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's a good way of explaining it, Stu, as you say. I understand the passion from fans. I think some of it is, is a bit over the top uh, in terms of uh, the way it's been voiced and aimed. Um, but that is, that is the, the prerogative of a football fan, to be passionate and to make knee-jerk statements and things like that. That's absolutely 100%. We're all football fans. We all understand that. But because we're in the position we're in, we have to be a little bit different. We have to take a little bit kind of a step back from all that. Uh, and as i say make a considered um thoughtful intelligent uh decision based on 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 things that we know uh, and things that are, you know may or may not happen going forward Hutchie, is there anything you want to um, throw into this this chat
2: i think i think Stu covered it really well there and then what you've you've <clears throat> said is is so true as well because i remember I, it was either after the whole game or after the charlton game we were doing one of these and mark you asked you asked us can you see paul lambert turning this around and i think both both Stu and i at that point said no didn't we i i think i'm not not misremembering that am i i think we i think we I both think we said no yeah and that hasn't changed since then i i'm i still find it incredibly difficult to 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 see how with all the evidence behind it how paul lambert can turn this around but there's a massive leap between that and an institution like the East Anglian Daily Times, formally calling for somebody to lose their job, isn't there? And like you've both said, there, that's a, it's a responsibility that we take in incredibly seriously. Talk about a lot. It's mm. not going to be knee-jerk, but when, but if we feel like the time, the time is is
0: perfectly there,
2: and that is what needs to be said, then then that's what
0: that's what will happen. And just, just, because, just to go back to the Magilton thing, which still gets chucked at us over a decade on, even though that's before all of our times, that just shows you how long those sort of decisions hang over you and are still talked about. It was wrong then. Doesn't mean that it suddenly scared us into not doing it again. Does that mean that we won't do it again? No, I'm not saying that. There may well be a tipping point, and it may well be in the not-so-near future but we have to be a hundred percent on this. And in the meantime, we'll continue to kind of apply measured fair, objective criticism, hold the club to account, which I don't think anyone can accuse us of not having done over the last few years. In fact, it kind of, it frustrates me and hurts me in equal measure when, when people immediately start saying you're, you're scared to ask tough questions and, uh, you, you know, you're, worried, you're in the club's pocket, et etc et which I know people are just saying out of pure frustration at the moment. And again, much like the Lambert rant at Oxford, it's an occupational hazard and we're big enough and ugly enough and you take it on the chin, that's fine. But if anyone's followed our coverage over the last few years and can say in, in good faith that they think that we've not asked any tough questions, be it face-to-face with managers or in print, then they're lying to themselves because we have put our head above the parapet more than anybody else. And I don't see these accusations being thrown at other local media outlets. It's, you know, I think we've used the sort of the strongest possible words and terminology along the way in terms of sort of embarrassing and gutless. And I can't remember, I'll go go back through them. But, you know, Evans, Lambert, everybody, the players has come in for some strong words from us along the way. So mm. people can have an opinion whether we're holding off too long on whether to do this Lambert out editorial or not. That's fine. That's a debate. But for them people to say that we haven't, we haven't asked tough questions, I think that's wrong.
1: I'd agree. I think, I think I've said it before, but I think there is a, I think some people would only be happy if you challenge Paul Lambert to a fight, Stu. And then pinned him up against the wall and shouted, when are you going to leave, you Scottish bleep? Um, but obviously, that is in no way, under any circumstance, in any way of sporting journalism, is that ever going to happen? Is that ever going to be appropriate? Is that ever going to be professional? And that's ultimately what we have to remain. Um, we have to keep our heads, you could say, while all around us are losing theirs. Um, Let's move on to sexy stuff. because I've just remembered there is some sexy stuff, actually, because I've seen your face on the screen. Um, oh. there's, a, there's a little sexy stuff update as we move on from what's quite a serious chat there. Freddie Sears may be on his way out of its switch town. Just, just tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll, we'll get on to the mailbag questions.
2: Yeah, um, Col- Colchester have been linked with, been linked with him, um, firstly through the Colchester Gazette. I think that's where that's, that, story, that story came from. Um it's certainly not something that's gonna to happen today or tomorrow or, or, or even next week. But there is there is an interest there from from Colchester. And then I think from there the debate kind of moves in on to whether Ipswich would be willing to, to let him move on. He's out of contract at the end of the season. Um you know, there's you can debate whether at that point Ipswich would allow him to move on, but there's every chance There's every chance they might. I think the Ipswich squad next season is going to look very different to the one that we've got in front of us now. Mm. Um, Whether Ipswich would see this as an opportunity if they could get a uh, a winger in, which they're trying to do this, this January, Luke Thomas being one there. Would they allow Freddie to go and continue his career elsewhere? Potentially they might. And then would Freddie want to want go back down to League 2? I think he lives in Colchester. Obviously, he was there before he came here. He's been been living there for, for the last eight or nine years. Um, it might appeal to him if there's a, a multi-year contract offered there. He can go and play with, with Tommy Smith, Dean Gherkin, the boys. Um, I can see how this one, this one might appeal, but I can also see a scenario where he's still here at the end of January and still contributing. But um, yeah. it... It's very, very early on this one, but, but it wouldn't shock me if it happened.
1: Roscoe, because um, you've, you've been silent for a while, I think you've been stuffing your face with, with bounties off screen. Um, <laughs> would, you, would you be sad to see Freddie Sears depart or do you think it's, it's maybe the time for, for Freddie to move on?
3: Yeah, cheerio, Freddie. Uh, thank you for his service and all that. Um, he's out of contract. He's 31. And you know what? He'll probably join Colchester. You put him up front and he'll go and score 20 goals. Um and they'll they'll get promoted. They'll get promoted and we get renegade. Uh, we're not that bad. Well hopefully not. Um yeah, you know, he's done he's done all right and he he's just you know he's had that injury, he's been playing on the wing. Um, but, you know, he's scored some some good goals and you know, when he signed, I was excited, you know. We actually are signing a striker when we needed you know to improvement into the that playoff season. Um but yeah. I think it's time for him to go and he's one of the, with a salary cap and everything, he's one of the probably highest earners at the club as well, probably. Hmm. Hachi, before we
1: move on, is there any update on on young Mr Thomas, who uh, we think is is close? He was obviously on the bench, wasn't he, for Barnsley at the weekend?
2: Yeah, I I don't think anything's going to happen there until Barnsley do something themselves. These are always in chains, these deals. He's he's one We we first reported this before Christmas. Um, I think it could still well happen, but clearly, if he's making the bench, um, something's going to have to change at Barnsley before that happens. If they're looking to to bring somebody in, which I'm led to believe they are in that position, so I think that in, that interest will be there until it's until it's not. If that
1: makes okay. sense. Let's get into what I reckon must be a record number of um, thoughts from the Coway Army. I'm not going to be able to read them all out because there's too many, so I'll, I'll pick and choose. Um, but thank you to everyone who's got involved. It's always great to, to hear from you and we value every contribution. FPL Tractor says, should Town just give up on hoping Emir Hughes will get his pre-injury form back? He's nowhere near the standard he was or is required. What, what do you make of that, Stewie? You talked about Emir earlier.
0: Yeah. It, it saddens me to say it because we all saw what a player emir was when he, particularly during that first loan spell, um, we remember the sort of the late goals against Villa and Newcastle on Easter Monday, and he was going to be that box-to-box goal-scoring midfielder that we've been crying out for for years. But sadly, after such a long road to recovery, best part of two years out, this is now his second season back. We have to judge him as a fully fit player now. He himself wants to be judged as a fully fit player, and it's just not happening for him. The games are sliding by. He keeps getting these opportunities, and you're not noticing him on the pitch and not in a good way. Um, so it looks like it's heading one way for Emir Hughes at the moment. And I take no pleasure in saying that. Um, Chris Peach says,
1: right, where do I start? Um, he says, formation doesn't work, especially with ageing fullbacks. There's no plan B. Lambert tactics are baffling. Need to play two up front. Jackson isn't a winger and a tempo is slower than a snail in reverse. And then he says, all done tick. So I think we've covered all those bases there. Um, Joe Fairs laddessa, my friend of the show, Hutchie, he says, how can experienced managers set the team up so badly? How can we have formation relying on 35 year old fullbacks, dominating an entire flank of the pitch, each with no protection at all. It's embarrassing. When will it end? Anything to say on that Hutchie?
2: Um, I spoke to Luke Wolfenden after the game on, on Saturday and one of the points that he made was was Ipswich need to start playing to their players' strengths, um, and and I would, I would agree with that. I think that covers a lot of what Joe's just said. Um, if you've got if you, if you've got James Norwood and Alan Judge in attack, you need to play in a manner that suits James Norwood and Alan Judge in attack. I think maybe ideals have been stuck to. A bit too rigidly, in terms of putting in a, putting in a system which which clearly is is something they were instructed to do um, uh, change change away from what was being done last season in terms of rotation and and shopping and changing the system. but I think maybe there's a stubbornness there in in trying to make personnel fit to to a system that that just doesn 't suit individuals they have to play to individuals strength and that, and that 's my my great hope for when for when you've got are you eating sweets Ross yeah
1: I can hear something. oh sorry. You you I sorry. Like sorry I thought I ho- sorry. I, ho- I hope you're eating sweets because um, yeah. that noise was pretty unpleasant yeah not
2: great anyway um, yeah. my, my great hope when these injured players come back like Gwion Edwards um, Kane Vincent Young I think the only way that oh, well actually Kane Vincent Young is you're counting chickens maybe if we're Thinking that he's going to come back in and make the impact, but the only way that that's their impact is going to be made is is if you bring them in and then play to their strengths. You can't just put these these players in and then and then continue to play at the tempo that they're playing at the moment. If if they're going to make a difference, you have to play with them, and if you don't, then I can't I can't see them making the impact that that we hope they're going to make.
0: Hmm.
1: John Collis says that the players clearly aren't paying for Shamberts, he calls them anymore, and a loss to Burton has to spell the end. Sunderland and Posh games are season defining, and that new manager bounce could prove pivotal to how this season pans out. Any decent manager would get this group going. Um, question from where are we, Matt Taylor? I'm going to put this to, to, uh, to you, Stewie. He says, Is the best option now for season ticket holders to cancel direct debits and hit Marcus Evans where it hurts? Would that make a difference?
0: I think. Listen, it's up to anyone to do to make their own decisions on things. I'm, I'm amazed by the amount of people who bought season tickets in the middle of a global pandemic to start with, and that shows you the, the loyalty and the strength of the support surrounding this football club. Um, we're asking constantly what, what the policy is going to be on, on refunds, just to, to assure everybody of that. There are conversations going on behind the scenes, Marcus has spoken about a make good offer at some stage if if the behind closed doors football continued for so long. I don't know, obviously it's quite a, a loose term. Um cancelling him, would that make a difference? I think I think it would be a key metric that he would use in terms of deciding sort of engaging the mood of of the fans because obviously we know that him hearing actual sort of noise and dissent within the within the crowd is is something that he puts a lot of stock in. We haven't got that at the moment and I've no doubt that it would be a a, a real toxic environment inside Portman road right now. If fans were were in there or if it was, uh, you know, if there was 15 plus thousand fans, it was was heading that way at the end of last season in March with the Fleetwood and the Coventry games. We had a little taste of it when fans started to come back in. Was it the Portsmouth game where we had a few fans in? And um, so we haven't got that. So, Marcus, I think, before, you know, around the Mick McCarthy stuff, a big part of it was how many, you know, the drop-in season ticket sales each year. And, and ultimately, that's that's money losing from the pot, and that, that will speak loudly to Marcus. Um, from what we gather, not many people have cancelled their direct debits at all. There's been a lot of talk about it, but speaking to people at the club, I what was the figure that we, we had, Andy? It, was, it wasn't very many at all, was it? It was... Um, dozens. Dozens. So there's a lot of people that are sort of threatening to do it and talking about doing it, and, and as is their want, and I wouldn't blame anybody at the moment. Everyone's got personal situations during this, this lockdown period. But I think if if a significant number of people were to start to do that, it would be very hard for Marcus to ignore.
1: Indeed. Uh, Tom Romsey made a fine point. He says in terms of a, an appeal for questions and thoughts, he says, save yourselves time. Replay any pod from the last 18 months. Questions will be roughly the same. Yeah, there is a little bit of Groundhog Day here, isn't there? Um, Roscoe, I want your answer to this. Simon Richardson says, would it make much of a difference when the injured players return? Would it make us more organised? Will we move the ball quicker and have an idea in the final third? Is it more likely we'll be in League Two before the Championship? So, Rossi, how, how much, how much um, stock are you putting in is returning? The, the, the injured cavalry coming back, obviously we saw what an impact that, that Norwood and Downs could make on Saturday. Can... can you see them coming back and making a huge difference and, and Town starting to turn things around, Ross?
3: Somewhat to a point, like, you know, as it showed Downs and Norwood straight away, they they improved the squad. Even being on the bench, it improved the bench. Um, but then I've got, I've got fears of more injuries to happen as well. Like other players get injured, so the cavalry could be coming back, but then other people could get injured as well. I've jinxed it now. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, this is pretty much the same squad from last season and we just about... Well, we finished 11th, which is not great. I know it's one points per game, but I don't know. You know, I think it will improve the current squad that we had available the last few months, but I don't know if it's going to add that much difference. That's just my opinion anyway. If you fully fit, these players are a significant upgrade.
0: I mean, Mm. we saw, what you know, Downs and Norwood for uh, Hughes and Dryden was a significant upgrade and it looked as much on the pitch at halftime. If you start to then add Bishop, Nolan, Edwards into that mix, all who started the season really well, we shouldn't forget. I have my doubts about Kane Vincent Young suddenly being the player that we remember him during those sparkling nine games. A year out is a long time. He's had a few injury setbacks since returning to training the fact that his game is all pace, based on pace and dynamism, that has to be a concern that he's not going to suddenly hit the ground running. But these are all big players. But how long it takes them all to get up to speed has to be a question mark. And as Ross says, there, there will be other injuries along the way. I understand Andre Dezel was carrying a bit of an ankle knock going into the game at the weekend. That's why they put Saziba on the bench. Um Hawkins has, seems to be carrying various knocks since he's arrived that they have to kind of manage. That's why he's in and out of squads. So suddenly chuck this ridiculous schedule into the mix. And, um, you know, as soon as some get fit, others will go out. But again, that's why you've got the squad. And look at look at Accrington, who are, who are turning out to be one of the stories of the season so far. They haven't got much more than the kind of the squad of 18. So I've got no doubt that this schedule will hit clubs like them at some stage. And there really is no excuses for Ipswich going forward. They've got the squad. There's no sort of great, they've got no fans in the stadium applying any kind of, I think that would be negative pressure on them at the moment. I think that's a positive for them. Um, They've got the players good enough for League One. The the excuses, that's it. The excuses have gone now. So let's just see how these next few weeks go.
1: Cyndra Eliasson, our, our Viking friend, says, question, do you, and he says, Hutchison and Stu, that's you two, have the impression that the players are still behind the coaching team, i.e. Hutchie, are the players still playing for Mr Lambert? What do you reckon?
2: I think that's always a really difficult one to answer. <sighs> you don't get the feeling that there's a there's not an inner kind of drive like a group drive mm. there that that I can see particularly. But at, at the same time, I would think quite badly of a professional footballer that doesn't go out there and, and play for him and his teammates,
0: mm. anything away from the manager. Um, and themselves, a lot of them are out of contract in the summer. They've got their own careers to be playing for here, whatever they think of the of manager and coaching staff behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, definitely. And so much like you You hear this whenever whenever things are going badly, it's about they're not playing for the manager. But it doesn't that shouldn't impact things on the pitch, particularly for a team like Ipswich, actually, where, who who we've we've spoken about, about having players that are players that are not playing to their potential. Um, that is more of a concern to me than whether they are playing for the manager or not I I, I doubt there are many footballers that go out there and I'm going to do this for my boss Mm. Um,
1: Mark I'm I'm sorry to tell you (laughs) that I'm not isn't that your your Uh, driving force every morning when you get up you think I'm going to have a great day for Heath it it
2: isn't I'm not doing this for you shit I'm doing this through through professional pride I'm not I think I've lost the dressing room then have I I (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we have lost the room. <laughs> I'm just not I just don't buy into the doing it for the manager side of things. Yeah, you're not one for inspirational, not,
0: inspirational quotes, are you? And well, speeches. Really. <laughs> well, what, you, what you could say is that perhaps players are doing things that are not natural to them because if they don't do that, they know that they're not going to be in the team. So maybe they're not playing to their strengths or what they want to do because they feel shackled. Because if you don't do it, you know you're out the team and you don't know when you'll next be in it. So that there's an element of kind of that, I think, influence of the manager can maybe have an effect on on players. But yeah, for, purely from a sort of a motivational doing it for the manager type thing, I think that Andy's right, that that can probably be overplayed massively at times. I am
1: doing it for you really, Mark, don't worry. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Um, There's obviously a lot of people saying that Lambert needs to go. Many people making the point that that's not the only problem. Marcus Evans is the big problem, which is, again, obviously a valid point and something we've talked about a lot. Um, As I say, I'm not going to have time to to read out everyone's thoughts, but there have been so many. Um, Steve Mellon, our old friend in Bristol, and we should have mentioned, of course, that the um, South Western supporters group, Stu, um, became the first today to actually call for, for Lambert to be sacked. Do you want to just uh, mention that before I read, read Steve's
0: question? Uh, yeah, they did just that with quite an articulate statement surrounding it all. Um, there might be others to follow suit from what we hear. I think the, the actual official Ipswich Town supporters branch is kind of keeping their powder dry at this moment in time, but is certainly giving it serious consideration. We've obviously had the blue action statement prior to Christmas and the couple of banners, which... We've reported on, on all of those things and we'll continue to do so. Um, yeah, there's not a lot more to say about that.
1: Well, Steve wants to know, uh, and this is I'm going to put this to, to Roscoe, he says, I reckon we're at around 80 corners per goal. So do we, do we need to work? Do we work on set pieces? What's your view, Roscoe? You're down there on the pitch, pitch side. Do town's set pieces need work?
3: Uh, yeah, I think, you know... I you know when I was growing up, I was always you know them, them leaders in the back. Jason DeVos scoring goals, you know even Luke Chambers, Tommy Smith, Christoph Bearer, you know in the, you know twenty tens. Um, but yeah, I just don't see us scoring from corners. When we have a corner, I, like Alan Judge normally takes them. uh Dazelle sometimes. I just yeah, I just don't see us scoring from. I don't feel like there's a someone there to really bullet header in. Mark McGuinness to be fair, he does get up and does a good header, but. Yeah, I think we need to work on it. I'm sure they do work on it in training because I'm sure they're... That, oh, why, why not? I'll, I'll enjoy doing set pieces in training, like free kicks and stuff. So, yeah, we need to at least try to be more fret threat with corners. Indeed. Um, Callum Davis says, what
1: are your thoughts on Wolfie's post-match interview? Seems he had more he wanted to say, in my opinion. Carl Fuller, one of our columnists, has made... A similar point in this column, which will be going up any moment now. Hutchie, obviously, you, you spoke to, to Luke after the game. Was that the impression you got as well? Was he was he biting his tongue, do you think?
2: Yeah, I think people are probably talking about the video that the club put out, aren't they? Where, yeah. Uh, but he was very similar in ours. We've got more, more to come from, uh, from that as well. Um, Luke is a man of few words generally, um, but he did have a fair amount. Amount to say it, on this occasion, and you don't have to read too far between the lines to see it. a young man who's not who's not particularly um, enjoying things at the moment. I'm not. I, I think I think there's an unhappiness there um, in terms of what players are being asked, what players are being asked to do. It was pretty thinly veiled. He he said that players need to play for their play to their be played to their strengths. And that he essentially doesn't think. Yeah,
0: and I think people have interpreted that as a sort of a veiled dig at the, the the coaching staff. And I don't know. There may there may be undertones of that, but the takeaway I got from that was also that once players cross the white line, they need to make decisions for themselves. And I think there's been a bit of finger pointing at each other within that town team as well now, which um, we've been calling for a bit of leadership as well. That you know, I think it's got to the point now where. You know, there's an element of that within the team that they're demanding more better standards from each other, which is is what's got to happen. And I'm sure they'll look back through the goals in in training this week and really analyse that performance. And, and I'm sure it will be a week where there's some uncomfortable conversations that happen around the place. But I, I didn't overread into it as being kind of like a dig at, at Lambert and the coaching staff. I just think that was a man, a young man, speaking from his heart. We ask for people to players to be honest. Hmm. And and he did just that. Um, you know, straight after the game he was he was frustrated. But um it was it was nice to see them someone actually we hear that we hear players talking about it hurts us, but I don't know if we often see it, but you could see the hurt in Luke Wolfenden in, in, in that video for sure. Hmm. Final question uh, of the
1: many that we've had and it's on a similar line, Tractor Girl simply asks, this one's for you, Suey, why do they keep putting up as you talk about Luke Wolfenden, are young players to face the media. Why doesn't Chambers, the captain, come out and face the journalists? Now, Chambers hasn't done a lot of press this season, Stewie. Is it fair to say that, that young players are being put up more often than they would be normally?
0: I think it highlights the imbalance in terms of the ages of the squad. I did that, that breakdown of that and how it compares to the rest of the division. They've got a lot of young, homegrown players and low knees, and then they've got a lot of Experienced players at the, the end of their careers, and I don't think they've got enough people supposedly in their prime 26, 27, 28. Certainly, ones that aren't those players aren't the ones that have been in, in form when you talk about sort of their issues. Jackson's been injured, Norwood's been injured, etc. So, um, yeah, there's no getting away from the fact that, that Luke has made a conscious decision to come away from, from the public side of things. I think we've spoken to him three times and we're approaching the halfway point of the season. It's coming to the end of his contract. I'm sure he's weighing up what he wants to do next, whether he's going to get another, another contract as a player, whether it's dawning on him that his legacy as an Ipswich town player is going to kind of be remembered as the second half of his career here, rather than the first half, whether he wants to, you know, keep his head down to try and make sure that there's sort of coaching opportunities for him on the horizon. I don't know where Luke Chambers' head is at, but it's pretty clear that he's taken a backwards seat on that. And that, and that does put more more pressure on on the others to come out and talk. Okay. Here endeth
1: uh, what has been an epic number of questions. Uh, and thanks for everyone. As I said, it's taking the time to get in touch. It's brilliant um, that you get in touch. And unfortunately, we just don't have time to, to go through every single one. Um, let's try and finish on a high, shall we, boys? Because Hutchie, you look like you're... Uh, you need you need to end on a high. You forget that. I can oh see no, you.
2: I've I've got several missed calls. I'm get we're getting some paving done in the garden. I've got uh-uh. a, a
1: succession of missed
2: calls from uh, stop eating sweets. Stop. <laughs> um, succession of missed calls from uh from people who want to come and pave my garden, and I'm I'm tied up in all kinds of knots because I can't remember which ones which. And Have you got
1: there. the uh, the full landscape design going on in the garden?
2: No, no, it's very a very simple. Uh, very simple um, repaving of a, of a patio, which, nice. is a bit, which is a bit of a mess, but I've got like four different people on the case and I've confused all their numbers and their names and
1: I don't know who they all are. So what you need now is to orchestrate some kind of bidding war. Um, uh, that's that's what sport. I'm trying
2: to do, but I've forgotten, I've forgotten who I've asked to come. Who's who? Yeah.
1: My dear boys, um, in terms of finishing on a high, other than Hutchie's paving issues, um, tomorrow, Tuesday, the what is it, 12th of January... Yes, Tuesday the 12th of January. It'll be 10 years to the day since Ipswich Town beat Arsenal in the uh, Carling Cup, was it then? It's always the Carling Cup for me. Thomas Priskin famously doing the only good thing he did while he was at Town, which was score against Arsenal, um, in, that, in that famous game. Another reminder of how far Town have fallen since then. Uh, and Roscoe, you've produced an excellent, if you don't mind me saying, throwback, back video, um, including... Mr. Priskin, uh, David Norris and a bunch of fans talking about their memories from the day. Do you want to just, just talk us through um, your chat with Tamas uh, and, and David and a little bit about the video?
3: Yeah, um, I just thought it was a good idea to look back on it, you know, 10 years on. I know a lot of people will go, you know, it's a bit tin pot. With like, you know, Norris City, they always do that sort of thing with Bayern Munich. But for me, I was, I was looking into it in terms of, for me as a fan, the last 10 years and really me supporting the club has been a bit, put it bluntly, it's been shit. <laughs> it's not been good, has it? Um, and that that one night as a 14-year-old, you know, playing against Arsenal, Fabregas, Arsenal and Wenger in the dugout, with a caretaker manager in charge, 19th in the championship, just been hammered 7-0 at Chelsea, I was at Stamford Bridge at, um, for that game and I was fearing the worst. I thought, do you know what, this could be another thrash in here. And then, out of nowhere, Thomas Priskin scores. You know, he cost us 1.7 million. Didn't really do much. That that was that was his moment, and he scored. And you know, 29,000 at Portman Road. I'm, I can I can imagine. You know, Stu and Andy, they love Portman Road when it's packed because um, the atmosphere and everything. Um, but yeah, it was great to hear memories from fans. It, it was great that um, the one of the mascots for the game reached out. Uh, good old Josh Youngs. He he uh, was a mascot. I think he was 11, 11 at the time. Mark Kennedy was his player to walk out, so he sort of got the short straw there in a way. I'm sure he would wa- rather had David Norris or maybe Conor Wickham or something. But but yeah, it was um, it was good to hear from you know David Norris about his memories of the game and just building up to it. And then good old Tamás, you know, all the way from Hungary, was happy to speak to me. Um, and yeah, he. He remembers it fondly, he still watches watches it to this day and he's I think he's honoured to that. He knows he's still remembered remember remember for that goal. So yeah, it's a good good video to put together and um, I hope everyone enjoys it despite the current state of affairs at the club. (laughs) Did did Tamas say where that goal, that game ranks in his in his career? He said it's in his top three because he did score for Hungary to get him, you know, qualifying for the Euros after 25, 30 years. Um, but yeah, it's, in, it's definitely in his top three. And, you know, I've watched the goal back and he's a great composed finish. One of the fans said in the video, like, it's like Terry Henry-esque finish because, you know, he had to, <laughs> maybe not as, um, as good as Terry Henry, but him to compose himself and score. And I watched the highlights back from the game. And I'm thinking how many times we could have scored in that game. Thomas Priskin had a one-on-one and missed. And, you know, but then Arsenal had a few chances themselves. Like Martin Phillip, rest in peace to him. Um, he had a great game as well, you know, from, from conceding seven goals and then getting a clean shit against Arsenal. You know, what a night. Yeah, were there any uh, were there any kind of accent slash
1: language issues between you and Tamás? Because uh, obviously you've uh, famously got a, an unusual <laughs> way of pronouncing things and a great Suffolk accent. Did he was he uh, up to speed with what you were asking him?
3: Probably not. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he just guessed what I said. I always fear that when I speak to you know some of the European um, players who played for us. I feel like when I sp- spoke to my boy Sergi, um, I was sort of worried that he was gonna <laughs> he was gonna. You know, not you know, be able to understand me. I always say that at the end of the interview, where, I hope you understood me because, uh, yeah, well, I've got a very, very deep Suffolk accent. But um, I yeah. think I think most of all my questions went through to him, okay. But I'm sure he was like thinking, uh, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, obviously you can uh, watch that tomorrow. It's going out first thing tomorrow morning,
3: Tuesday, as we sit here Monday
1: night recording this pod. Um, there'll be uh, a written piece with Tamas as well. And also Karl Marston, who was at that game covering town for us at the time, We'll, uh, we'll take a look back at that, that kind of Halcyon era. Um, I still um, get from Carl talking about how good the Arsenal press, food, press room food was. I think it's the, the greatest day of Carl's life in terms of catering um, at, 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 uh, at Arsenal Stadium back then. Um, Hotchy, that was a period where you were a fan, wasn't it, more than anything? Is that fair to say? Uh,
2: it was during my dark period, but I did go. Oh, was I, was it? I, I did go to both of the games. Um, my one memory of the home, the home game, I can't really remember anything about the game. All I can remember is, for for some reason, there were big screens outside Portman Road playing a thirty second video constantly on loop, triumphantly announcing the appointment of Paul Jewell. Um, which, looking back, <laughs> aged massively well. And then my one memory of the second leg. But I think Grant Ledbitter tried a shot from the halfway line from kickoff. Yeah. Um, ambitious. That's that that's how bold I was convinced at half time, it was nil nil at half time in the second leg, so Ipswich one nil up, I was convinced that they were gonna win. Um, to the extent I was a very poor, very, very poor trainee journalist living in Birmingham at the time. Um, to the extent that I started looking up train tickets because you can get them dead cheap. Uh, if you book them really far in advance, and I thought, why don't I try and book this at half at half time? <laughs> so I might because I might I might get it super cheap before the rest of the Ipswich fans start doing it. But um, didn't thankfully didn't need it. And uh, ultimately, was it Kashani that scored the first one? Ross in the second half, I think.
3: I think so. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. I know Bentner scored, didn't he? Bentner scored.
1: Lord Bentner.
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Ultimately. Ultimately it was a good thing I didn't book that
3: ticket.
1: Indeed. Right then boys, we'd better leave it there and um, we could talk for a lot longer. Um but we've hit the hour mark. I think we've covered some good ground there today. I've just got a message from Sindre saying, Will you publish the pod today, Heathy? The people want it, clearly. So we better end and, and get to the no. editing get to the editing role. Um boys, is there any other business, anything else you want to say, Hutchie?
0: No other business. Stewie? No other business.
1: Rossi? Ditto. Ditto. Thanks very much for listening. Um, Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We've had a couple uh, in recent times, which is very nice to see. And thank you too to all the messages from people who've been sending us nice things, um, reminding us that they value what we do, which is always nice to hear. Um, And follow us across all our social medias, Kings of Anglia on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And look out, as I say, for that video tomorrow, the look back at when Tamas was great for town against Arsenal. Right then boys, let's take our leave. Thanks to everyone listening today. Have a great first part of your week and we'll speak to you again hopefully later on this week.
0: From true crime to football, Brexit to football. More great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash archon.